the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Every generation, to some degree or another, experiences and experiments in similar ways. Looking for satisfaction apart from God. Questioning the meaning of life. Seeking identity and purpose, experimenting sexually and with alcohol and drugs and having often a low view of authority. It's all symptomatic of the same thing, that life without God is a futile pursuit of happiness and fulfillment. This is Cornerstone Connection. The radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Ecclesiastes. Throughout history, we consistently see the younger generation seeking out ways for satisfaction apart from God. Pastor Gary teaches us that it never works for them. A life without God is a life with no purpose. The inevitable death we all move towards will take from us all the things we manage to gather here but it will not take from us our relationship with God. If you wish to live a life which holds value throughout eternity, give your heart to Jesus. In doing this, you will gain entry to heaven and a heart to take others along with you. Well, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter three with part one of his message, The Temporal and the Eternal. For this morning, we're here in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. So if you'll take your Bibles and go to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We have a, a few Bibles left, and while supplies last, you can raise a hand if you need a Bible. If you didn't bring one, the ushers are coming down the aisles with Bibles in hand. If you take a Bible from an usher, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 is found on page 498. Page 498. I'm going to read uh, all of chapter 3. It's only 22 verses. And then we'll, we'll dig out the, the content here from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. So let me, let me read here. Verse 1. Solomon, the one writing here, inspired by the Lord, he says, There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. 
a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What does the worker gain from his toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on men. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and to do good while they live. That everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil, this is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that men will revere him. Whatever is has already been, and what will be has been before, and God will call the past to account. And I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. I thought in my heart, God will bring to judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, a time for every deed. I also thought, as for men, God tests them, so that they may see that they are like the animals. Man's fate is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Man has no advantage over the animal. Everything is meaningless. All go to the same place. All come from dust, and to dust all return. Who knows if the spirit of man rises upward, and if the spirit of the animal goes down into the earth? So I saw that there is nothing better for a man than to enjoy his work, because that is his lot. For who can bring him to see what will happen after him? Now, again, if you're just joining us for our study of Ecclesiastes, Solomon sounds like, you know, Debbie Downer. He, he's like questioning a lot of things about life. He talks about how it's meaningless. That word meaningless in the Hebrew is hevel. He uses it 38 times through the, through the book of Ecclesiastes. Hevel means mist, smoke, or vapor. What he means is life is not without meaning, but that life is like a vapor or a mist. It's hard to grasp. It's hard to figure out. There are highs, there are lows. There are joys, there are disappointments. Life is somewhat a mystery. And especially when you don't have God in the equation, life can be very depressing. So that's where Solomon is writing from. There's a point in his life where he has really kind of abandoned God. He's worshipped idols. He leads the people of Israel as the king of Israel into idolatry. It's a low time in Israel's history. He's at a low place personally. He's experimented with a lot of things. We've already read how he tried alcohol, women, uh, power, money, all these different things. And without God, everything was meaningless. It was hard to understand, hard to grasp, because he couldn't find fulfillment, peace, and contentment without God. And so though we read here in chapter 3 what sounds to be somewhat depressing, it's really kind of, uh, it's kind of the journal of a king who has lost sight of God in the equation of life, and therefore he struggles with understanding life's purpose and meaning. Well, here in chapter 3, Solomon discusses two aspects of time. We're going to notice throughout chapter 3 that he refers to both the temporal and the eternal. The temporal, of course, are those things that expire, that come to an end. The eternal, of course, are those things that have no ending. They are in perpetuity. They are eternal. And both aspects of time, both temporal and eternal, are real and both apply to us. And what separates the temporal from the eternal, as far as it concerns us, is a matter of life and death, literally. It's a matter of life and death. That's what separates the temporal from the eternal. 
And Solomon's going to talk about these things. He's going to talk about life. He's going to talk about death. He's going to talk about judgment. He's going to talk about eternity just here in chapter 3. In fact, for you note takers, four main topics we'll look at here in chapter 3. How Solomon basically communicates to us that life is temporal, that death is inevitable, that judgment is unavoidable, and that eternity is undeniable. Because God sets eternity in our hearts is what he's going to tell us in verse 11. But the opening eight verses here, I'd like you to first notice with me the opening eight verses because this is going to begin the section here where Solomon basically teaches us that life is temporal. This is a true thing. And as far as life goes this side of heaven, as far as our earthly existence goes, life is temporal. And he talks here in the first eight verses about various times and seasons that we will experience in the course of our lifetime. Notice again here, let me just revisit the first eight verses with you. Verse 1, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. He talks about a time to be born and a time to die. That's true. Psalm 139 verse 16 says that, it, that all the days ordained for me were written in your book, Lord, before one of them came to be. God knows the beginning of our days from the ending of our days. And that he is the one who decides when we shall be born and when we shall die. And he's the one that sustains us in between. So there's a time to be born. There's a time to die. Solomon writes here, there's a time to plant and a time to uproot. There's a time to kill and a time to heal. Now, by the way, that word kill is different from the word murder. He's not endorsing murder, but he says, listen, sometimes in the course of life, there is death. And in the line of duty, in the matters of war, there's a time to kill. There's a time to heal. There's a time to tear down, a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh. There's a time to mourn and a time to dance. Notice you Baptists. (laughs) That's right here. You can dance. It's all right. I mean, if you can. Some of you can't. There's a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace. A time to refrain. A time to search. A time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. Okay, no hoarding. Throw it away. We call it in America yard sales. There's a time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. Man, these verses would make for a great song. (laughs) Wouldn't they? I can just hear the music. 1965, friends, this was the number one song on Billboard's Top 100. The birds and turn, turn, turn. Listen to the words. Turn it up. How many of you remember that song? Let me see your hands. All right, look around. Those are the druggies right here in the church. (laughs) Now, 
I bring this song up, not just for fun. There's actually a purpose behind me bringing this song up. And every time we come to Ecclesiastes 3, every 10 years, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play that song for you. <laughs> it was a song written in the 50s by Pete Seeger. But it didn't become popular until the mid-60s. 1965, as I mentioned, it became the number one song three weeks in a row on Billboard's Top 100. It didn't become popular until the mid-60s, though it had been written in the 50s, because the culture of the 60s and 70s identified with a guy who wrote those words 3,000 years ago. The original writer of that song was not Pete Seeger, it was Solomon. Because all those words are taken directly out of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. What was happening in our country at that time as a matter of history was that there was this counterculture revolution. You have all the flower children and the hippies of the 60s and 70s. And during that time, what marked the culture of our country was a time of, well, the hippies and the flower children were very spiritual, but they were anti-God. In fact, when Woodstock concerts opened up in the summer of 1969, they opened with an invocation by a Hindu guru. They were very spiritual, but they were anti-God, anti-authority, anti-establishment, anti-war. They were about free love, free sex, free drugs, and their mantra was peace and love. That's what marked the 60s and 70s. The reason why that song became so popular then was that culture was at the same place Solomon was when he was writing Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Searching for purpose, searching for meaning, searching for happiness. That's what the whole time period was with the flower children and the hippies. Just kind of loose living and free living and trying to experiment and understand and find meaning and purpose. They identified with the words of Solomon. That's why it became popular. They were at the same place he was when he was writing this stuff. And as they searched for meaning and purpose in all of this, here's the interesting thing that happened. In the midst of this counterculture revolution of the 60s and 70s, when people were experimenting with this, experimenting with that, anti-God, anti-authority, all this stuff, free love, free sex, free drugs, there emerged in the midst of the same culture those who realized that all those things only led to emptiness. And they tried all those things. And they experienced and experimented with all those things, only to end up on empty. They realized, in effect, that what Solomon came to the same conclusion was concerning those different kinds of ways of exploring peace and happiness and fulfillment, that in the end, without God in the equation, it was empty. So in the midst of that whole counterculture revolution of the 60s and 70s, you know what emerged? The Jesus movement. Because you had thousands upon thousands of hippies turning to Christ because they were tired of the anti-God, anti-authority, free sex, free love, free drugs, all this stuff. And they realized how empty they were. So by the thousands, hippies started turning to Christ. And it was called the Jesus Movement. It was well documented in our own recent history. It made the cover of Time magazine in 1971, the Jesus Revolution. Rolling Stone magazine documented it, Newsweek documented it, CBS, ABC, a book was written about the whole Jesus movement and how people came out of the counterculture realizing they've tried it all and it still left them feeling empty. Also made the cover of Life magazine in 1972, the great Jesus rally in Dallas. By the thousands, young people were turning to Christ. Coming out of this culture of experiencing all these different things, trying to find love and peace and satisfaction and contentment and purpose, only to come up empty. And it became a revival in America that was really spearheaded by this generation of 20-somethings. 
who realized, I've tried it all, done it all. Why is it that I still feel empty? And so by the thousands, they started turning to Christ. Now, friends, this is not just something historical. The only reason I bring this up is because it's the most well-documented. But what we have happening in the 60s and 70s is Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and then many people by the thousands realizing, I've tried it all, and it just isn't fulfilling. And so out of this emerges a revival. And it's not just an historical reference point, though I'm bringing it up because of the contrast of the, of the culture in the day and how people are turning to Christ. It's a cyclical thing. It's not just historical. It's a cyclical thing. Every generation, to some degree or another, experiences and experiments in similar ways, looking for satisfaction apart from God, questioning the meaning of life, seeking identity and purpose, experimenting sexually and with alcohol and drugs and having often a low view of authority. It's all symptomatic of the same thing, that life without God is a futile pursuit of happiness and fulfillment. Now, what's, what makes it more difficult in this generation? Because, again, every generation is going to experience this to some degree, searching, looking. What makes it most difficult in this generation is that some of those futile pursuits have become legitimized in the mainstream culture, or worse, have become legalized by our government. And so now it makes it doubly hard for those people who realize how empty their lives are because so many people around them are saying, no, it's okay, it's okay, you're okay, you're fine. What we need in America is another revival. And I pray that the young generation once again leads the way. I am encouraged as I speak to teenagers and those in in their 20s who have a heart for God and who know the truth enough to reject some of the nonsense that they hear in their high schools and their universities, and who love Jesus more than trends or fads or popularity, and who stand for what is right and true no matter what the culture legalizes or glamorizes or advertises, and who find their identity and their security in the Lord Jesus Christ. May this young generation once again lead a revival in America. So, here in the first eight verses of this third chapter, Solomon's describing here, again, the the temporal. He's talking about how life is temporary, and he talks here in terms of an endless cycle of events. He says that there is a time and there's a season for everything. And then he goes through this list, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot. He lays out 14 pairs of statements here that are both constructive and destructive. You'll notice that these are, these are opposite things that he speaks of here. There's a time to weep, time to laugh, time to scatter, a time to gather, a time to build, a time to tear down. It's like a catalog of life's polarities. And so he lists these things here. And his point is that life is this endless cycle of events, somewhat monotonous and sometimes repetitive. But he says, you know, life is like this series of of events here that are sometimes monotonous and repetitive, and and that it all comes full circle. You know, there's a time to be born, a time to die, and then all these other things in between. I mean, we understand this about life, right? I mean, you, you know, you're born, you start out bald, toothless, eating soft food, and wearing diapers. 
and you end up bald, toothless, eating soft food and wearing diapers. And in the middle, you get a job. I've already told my kids, I said, listen, I changed your diapers when you were little. You're going to be changing mine. I'm just sorry. So it's going to happen. It's going down one day. But that's the way life is. And Solomon is basically saying, since life is like this, it kind of cancels itself out with these polarities of events that happen all through your lifetime. Then what, what really is the point in all of this? And he does come to realize two particular points about how temporal life is and what he realizes are these two things here in this chapter that time is in God's hands number one and number two that whatever time or season of life you find yourself enjoy it so on the first point time is in God's hands notice again verse one that's how he starts this he says there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven there is a time there's a season And time is in God's hands because he says in verse 11 that God has made everything beautiful in its time. In its time. In his search for truth, Solomon concluded that God has a purpose for everything. And that the times and seasons are in his hands. So Solomon is correct about this. Now, his theology is not always correct because he's in a bad place without God. There's some parts of chapter 3 where, you know, he's, he's not really on point. He even said later in chapter 3, I'm not sure whether man's spirit goes up and whether the animal go, spirit goes down. I'm, I'm not even sure about this. Well, you know, he should be sure, but he, he's not in a good place with God, so he doesn't know the difference. But time is in God's hands, and God is the one who orchestrates and organizes times and seasons. It's not within our control. Those things are within God's control. All we can do is measure time and mark it. That's all we can do. And and I suppose bide your time, but I mean, uh, otherwise, we have no control over it. Time Time is something that just keeps moving on with or without us. It's an interesting dynamic. I read a quote once by Vince Lombardi, the great football coach, who said that I've never lost a game. I just ran out of time. (laughs) And the truth is that all of us are going to run out of time because we're only given a certain allotment of time. And all of our times and all of our seasons are in God's hand because he's sovereign. He's outside of time. He's outside of the time-space continuum. But he intervenes wherever and whenever he chooses. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 21, the Bible says that God changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. So God is even concerned about the season of those kings who rule. And he sets up one and deposes another. Times and seasons are in God's hands. They're in his control. Even Jesus said concerning his second coming, he told his disciples before he ascended back into heaven. In Acts 1, 7, he said, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. Now, again, he's speaking there in the context of his own second coming. But yet the principle is true about all things, that it is... God's prerogative and it is his authority that determines times and seasons we don't we just live out our time within the framework of God's providential time which means that since we can't hasten time we can't delay time we can't control time we just simply need to trust God's timing his timing is always perfect and we may not understand the season We may not even particularly like the season that we might be in. 
that God's timing is perfect. He's sovereign concerning time. We can't change it, hasten it, deny it, or control it. So all we can do is trust God in that timing. David said this in Psalm 31, 15, my times are in your hands, Lord. He understood this. We need to understand everything about our lives. My time is in your hands, Lord. Psalm 31, 15. Though the book of Ecclesiastes views the world through human eyes, the authority of God cannot be denied. True, the world is in chaos, but God is still in control. There is hate, but there's also love. And through the work of the Holy Spirit, we can continue to strive to offer hope to the people around us. Today, we pray you've been encouraged in your faith. We'd love to pray for you as well. So give us a call at 703-771-1500. Be sure to join Pastor Gary next time to continue studying verse by verse through this Old Testament book. But in the meantime, you'll be able to listen to Cornerstone Connection on our website at cornerstoneconnection.cc. You'll also find a link to our mobile app. Take Pastor Gary's teachings with you on the go and connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can even send us prayer requests or join us live for our weekly services at Cornerstone Chapel. Find a link to our app under the Teachings tab at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Our time with you is quickly drawing to a close today. We're so glad you tuned in for Pastor Gary's teaching in the book of Ecclesiastes. Join us next time to dive back into God's Word right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go but still you know, still you know you're, not you're not alone. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Hope is an open ocean, jump in and you'll find the cornerstones. Your connection run towards your new Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.